0: Actually, a lot. So sign up now at com. That's com. No purchase necessary. BDW. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Through the Bible with Les Felden. An inspirational and informative half hour of insight into the heart of scripture in addition to teaching the Bible Les is a full-time rancher having a down-to-earth practical teaching style that makes the Bible come to life all programs are available on audio tape, videotape, and in printed form at the end of the program there will be an address where you can contact the ministry and now here's Les Feldick with today's lesson
1: now of course you always have to ask what gospel and uh, remember I made reference to a little booklet by one of the Bible teachers on the old radio Bible class, and the title of it was, Which Gospel When? And uh, lo and behold, the other day I ran into a gentleman who had a whole bunch of them. So maybe some of you out there in television that you've written before asking for them, uh, you write to us and maybe we can use some of his copies. But anyway, he made it so plain. I was going back to Paul Van Gorder, some of you will remember the name. And Paul Van Gorder made it so plain that the gospel proclaimed during Christ's earthly ministry and by the Twelve was the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the grace of God came from the Apostle Paul. Now, there is as much difference between those two gospels as night and day. The same God, of course. God never changes, but he can change his message, and that's what we talked about in our earlier program, the mysteries. The mysteries. And so out of that revelation of the mysteries comes what Paul calls the gospel of the grace of God. In another place, he calls it that gospel which I preach among the heathen. In another place, he calls it the gospel of God, the gospel of Christ, and we covered all that when we were back in Romans chapter 1. But the gospel then that he's referring to in verse 28 is Paul's gospel, that Christ died shed his blood, was buried, and rose again from the dead. That's the gospel. You can't add anything to it. You can't take anything from it. And so this gospel then is what the Jew has been opposing ever since it began. And so Paul says concerning the gospel, they, the Jews, are enemies for your sakes. But let's not lose sight. Let's not try to destroy them because they're our enemies, for, what's the reason? As touching the election, in other words, again, God extending salvation to them as touching election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. Now, who were the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, you want to remember that God had, I guess you might say, a special relationship with Abraham, didn't he? He loved Abraham, as well as David, a man after his own heart. And so God, I think, has to constantly go back to those patriarchs and his love for them when he deals with their offspring. And I think this is what Paul is saying, that the election... That remnant of Israel that God is still preparing for the end-time events are beloved because of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and so on and so forth. All right, now in verse 29. Now let's be careful. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Now that word repentance, I think, is crushed and crucified about as much as any word in the English language. What is the true definition of repentance as we see it here in Paul's writing? Well, it is not falling down on your face and weeping in sorrow for your sin. The repentance spoken of here is a change of mind, a change of thinking. Now then, when it comes to God's dealing with Israel has he changed his mind no now look at the verse in that light treating repentance as changing his mind so that the gifts and calling of God are without changing his mind now in that plain? now what do we mean well let's go back to the Old Testament let's go back to Genesis 12 this is what it's all referring back to remember Let's go back and see what it says, even though I'm sure most of you know it from memory. Genesis 12. Genesis 12, those first three verses. Genesis 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. The Abrahamic covenant. Now the Lord had said, that is back in chapter 11, Get thee out of thy country from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Now look at verse 2. God is speaking to the man Abram, and he says, I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. I will make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. You think God changed his mind? No, he hasn't changed his mind. That's still valid. That is still true. And that Abrahamic covenant is still going to be fulfilled. Now, you want to remember, this is the whole idea of Christ's first coming was to fulfill these promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Israel rejected it out of hand to the place that they crucified their Messiah. Did God turn His back on them forever? No. Like we've seen for the last several programs, He's set them aside. He's blinded them, but He hasn't taken them out of His program. Oh, He's still going to come back and finish the Abrahamic covenant. Absolutely He is. Let's go over to chapter 15. Now Abraham, of course, shows his humanity. You know, that's what I always like to point out when I teach about these Old Testament characters. They were just as human as we are. They weren't some super people. They weren't some kind of, what shall I say, far out nuts. No, they were just as common and everyday as we are. Now God's been promising Abraham a land and a nation of people. But who's in the land? Well, the Canaanites. He's a stranger. He probably has to ask permission wherever he went with his flocks. In fact, our guide when we were in Israel back in 1975, 76, I think, when Israel was still just coming out of their statehood, every place that an Arab or anyone would take their flocks, they would have to ask the orchard owner whether they could graze their sheep or their goats for any number of days. And I imagine it was much the same way with Abraham. He, He didn't own a stick of ground, and he was a stranger in a land that Had been promised to him, but he still didn't have the deed to it. All right, now just watch how human he is. Verse 8 of chapter 15, where God has been making all these promises. And then Abraham said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I'll inherit it? See that? God's word wasn't even enough for a man like Abraham. He says, I want some proof. And what does God do? gives it to him. Gives him the deed to the land in the uh, succeeding verses. All the way down through, from verse 10 down to verse 18, God deeds not just that little and narrow lechon land from Mediterranean to Jordan, but look how much God deeded to Abram in verse 18. In the same day that he deeded the land by virtue of the old customs, I think coming out of the laws of Hammurabi. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying unto him, Unto thy seed have I given, past tense, see? I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. The Kenites, the Kenazites, the Cadmonites, and all these other tribes that were dwelling in that area of the world. That was a promise. And God gave it to Abram. deeded it to him. Do you think he's going to change his mind now all of a sudden and say, Well, no, I'm not going to let you have it? No way. So regardless of what Israel does with the land, whether they give it back or whether they fight for it or whatever, you rest assured, when Christ returns, they're going to have the whole Middle East as their homeland all the way from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, all the way from Mount Hermon, all the way down to the Red Sea. That's going to be Israel's homeland. Now, they haven't got it yet. They're not even close. But they're going to. Why? Because the works and calling of God are without His changing His mind. All right, let's look at another promise. Come on over to Second uh, Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, portion we looked at not too long ago, where God is dealing with David, another one of the patriarchs, uh, a man after his own heart. And God loved David, and David loved his God. Now look what God is saying. Verse, oh, let's see. Verse 12, 2 Samuel 7. Verse 12, When thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. See, God's not going to intervene in the physical element of death. He's going to die. And thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels. In other words, it be his own son. And God says, I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13, He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Remember when we looked at a few few programs back, this was the promise of that kingly line that would go all the way from David down to the coming of Christ the King. Here it's all promised, the house of David. Verse 14, I will be his father and he shall be my son if he commit iniquity. And is he going to? You better believe it. You better believe it. But if he does, if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men with the stripes of the children of men. Has Israel experienced that? Why, constantly they've been under the disciplining of their God. Over and over. All you have to do is go back and read the book of Judges. What is that a story of? A story of a nation that was on a roller coaster. Oh, they would go up to a spiritual high under a righteous holy judge And he'd die, and what would happen to the nation? Down into the depths of sin and rejection, God would raise up another good judge, and here they'd come again, and they would be blessed, and they would be victorious over their enemies, and then down they went. Up and down and up and down, see? Yes, God chastised them, but did He ever give up on them? Never. All right, now then. We've seen this all the way through Israel's experience. That God has promised them and promised them and promised them. A king and a kingdom. He came the first time. They rejected it. They crucified him. And so the Lord in resurrection power went back to glory. To forget about Israel? No. Like a MacArthur who left the Philippines and said, I will come back. That's exactly what Jesus told the twelve are on the Mount of Olives. He's going back to heaven. But he said, I'm coming back. The angel announced that if the Lord himself did And so Israel now then is approaching the day we feel that their Messiah is going to be coming back. All right, now while you're in the Old Testament, come up to the book of Hosea for a moment. Hosea. Beautiful prophecy. Hosea. That's right after Daniel. You got your major prophets. That's the way I find them, anyway. You find Isaiah, and then you got Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then, right after Daniel, is the book of Hosea, chapter 6. Hosea, chapter 6. Verse 1. Now, these are promises. See? These are promises that God has given to the nation through the prophets. Hosea 6 verse one. All got it. Come, let us return unto the Lord, for He hath torn and He will heal us, He hath smitten. He will bind us up. Now watch the language there. What did it mean that he had torn and he had smitten? He had chastised them. He had exercised discipline on them. But what are the last words of that verse? He will bind us up. What does that mean? He's going to heal them. He's going to heal their land. He's going to heal the nation. Now, verse 2 and 3. Oh, I love them. After two days. Now, when we speak of prophetic days, according to Peter, how long is that? A thousand years. A day is but a thousand years in God's sight. A thousand years is but a day. So I think it's speaking of two thousand years here. After two days or two thousand years... He will revive us. Oh, isn't he doing it? Of course. My land, you go back to pre-World War II. Go back to the 30s and all the way back then into the early 1900s and the 1800s. Who would have ever dreamed that the Jews would one day have their homeland and a sovereign government? Only Bible scholars. They were writing about it, but no one else ever thought of it. Whenever the Jews would talk to the powers that be in England and America and what have you, they would laugh at them. The English actually offered them a piece of Africa, uninhabitable for the most part. You can have that for a homeland. And they said, no, we don't want a piece of ground in Africa. We want our own homeland, Israel. But here they are. They've been coming back now for the last hundred years. And now since 1948, they've been a pretty much an independent state. All right, so after two days or 2,000 years, he will revive us. In the third day, which takes you into the kingdom, of course, in the, king, in the third day he will raise us up and we shall live, where? In his sight. Indeed. He's going to be ruling from Jerusalem and he will be right there in their midst. See? Then verse 3. Oh, when they come into that kingdom economy, then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning. He shall come unto us as the rain and as the latter and the former rain under the earth. Now, we in America are not so much concerned with the former and the latter rain, but the Middle East, it was everything. See, that's why Israel became a wasteland for thousands of years. They lost the latter rain. They may have some of the earlier rain, but they would never get that latter rain. But now since Israel is a nation and they're beginning to green up and it's beginning to blossom as a rose, Israel is beginning to experience the former and the latter rains. In other words, they're getting it in two times of the year instead of one. Well, all these are just simply to show then that when Paul says concerning the elect of Israel that God has not changed his mind. So if you'll come back with me now to Romans chapter 11. Now, verse 30. Romans 11, verse 30. For as you in times past have not believed God, see that? Yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Remember what we saw earlier in this chapter? Turn back a page. Go back. The only way you learn is over and over and over, you know. I remember when we first started on television, at least within the first year, there was a mathematics college professor here in Oklahoma who gained almost worldwide acclaim, I guess, because of his teaching tactics. His math students just scored so much higher than almost any place else, and come to find out that it was merely a style of teaching that he used, and I guess it was pretty much like what I do he would not just teach a mathematical theorem or something and then drop it and go to the next one. But throughout the whole semester, he would keep reviewing. See? He would just keep moving ahead, but he'd always go back. Go ahead, but always go back. Well, that's the best way to learn, see? Well, that's what I try to do. I'm not going to apologize for repeating some of these things because it's the best way to learn. All right, back to chapter 11 now. Verse 11. You'll remember the verse when we read it. I say then, have they, the nation of Israel, have they stumbled that they should fall, in other words, be completely out of God's program? God forbid, don't think such a thing. But rather, through their fall, salvation has come to whom? The Jendah. Oh, wonder of wonders! Now come back to the last part of the chapter where we just are, and that's exactly what Paul is going to say. Oh, the depth, verse thirty-three. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. I say this is all beyond us. How in the world could He take a covenant people like Israel? Give them all the promises that he gave to the patriarchs and through the uh, prophets, and then even through the coming of their Messiah, dealt with them on covenant ground, and then see them crucify the one he gave them, and cry out in total rebellion away with him, and then have God say, Well, because they did that, I'll now send salvation to the Gentiles. Who would have ever thought of anything like that? No one but God. But this is what God did. And so because they rejected everything that God had promised, they have brought about what had to be done for our salvation. And that, of course, was his sacrificial death, and then his burial, and his resurrection. All right, now then, verse 30. I'm going to hurry a little bit. I'd like to finish the chapter. So he says, Even though you, in times past, have not believed God. Now, I guess I should put it on the board because I've had several people over the years say this really opened their eyes. It it really made them rethink a lot of what they learned. And you're going to recognize it the minute I put it up here. We have two facets. We can believe in God. How many people do that? Just about everybody. Just about everybody, at least in America, where we're so, uh, what shall I say, we're open to the Scriptures and so forth. Most Americans will admit they believe in God, but what's the other one? Believe God. Now that narrows it down. How many people believe God? Because see, that becomes in faith. This doesn't, this doesn't take faith in consideration at all, but this is faith when we take God at His word. Now well, that's exactly what we're talking about here. The Gentiles for thousands of years did not believe God. They may have believed in some God, but they did not believe God. And you see, this is where all of a sudden it makes such a difference. When we believe God, we take what He says and we believe it, and that's what? Faith. So when the Scripture says that Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead, what does God expect us to do with it? Believe it. See? And when we believe it with all our heart, what does God do again? He opens up our whole ability to believe. He comes in. He makes us a new person. And all these things become so easy to comprehend, which before were just so hard to comprehend. All right, now then in the last few moments. Verse 32 again. For God hath concluded them, that is Israel, all in unbelief because of their total rejection that He might have Mercy upon how many? Ah, oh, now who are they all? Jew and Gentile, the whole human race. Now, reading on before they get it off the screen. Oh, I guess it's already gone. All right. Now, then, verse 33. I just read it a moment ago. The depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. We can't even come close to comprehending His wisdom. How unsearchable are His judgments, and His ways past finding out. Verse 34, For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Who hath been His counselor? Now I think that history can pretty much prove presidents rise and fall, or kings, pretty much based on what? The men around them. See? The men around them. If they've got weak advisors, if they got people that are constantly getting the president or the king or whatever in hot water, history's not going to be very kind to them, are they? All right. God doesn't have that problem. God doesn't need a cabinet. God doesn't need a kitchen cabinet or whatever it was. God doesn't need counselors. He's all the counseling that He ever needed. You remember I always like to use that verse back in Acts that in the predeterminate counsel of God and the foreknowledge of God, what does that mean? Oh, the triune God came together and without any outside counsel they put the whole thing together and His ways are past human understanding.
0: Thank you for joining us again for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. If you'd like to order audio tapes, videos, or any of our printed material, you may do so by writing Les Feldick Ministries, Route One, Box 760, Kinta, Oklahoma 74552. That's Les Feldick Ministries, Route One, Box 760, Kinta, Oklahoma 74552. Or you can call us toll free if you'd like at one. 1- That's 1-800-369-7856 Remember, this is a faith ministry and your participation with us is greatly appreciated. Again, our address is Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. And our phone is 1-800-369-7856. Thanks again for listening. And please join us next time for Through the Bible with Les Feldick.